Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, bringing you the latest in healthcare trends and news each week. Today, I'm joined by Dr. David LeGrew, the Executive Director of Women's and Children's Services for Providence St. Joseph Health in Southern California. We're talking about the rising rates of maternal death in the U.S. and what Providence is doing to make childbirth safer for moms. Remember, everyone, if you have questions for our experts, please share them with us on social media. We can be found on Twitter at PSJH and on Facebook under Providence St. Joseph Health. Use the hashtag Future of Health, that's hashtag Future of Health, and we'll be on the lookout for your questions. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your health care provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. LeGru. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here? Sure. So uh, I'm Dr. David LeGru. I'm the Executive Medical Director for Women's and Children's Clinical Institute here in Southern California uh, for Providence St. Joe's. Um, technically, that role involves um, keep, keeping track and helping with clinical quality and, and growth uh, in those uh, particular business lines. But in reality, uh, I look at my biggest role as, as someone who's helping spread good ideas. So try, trying to take national and state guidelines uh, down to the individual patient level. And, and also, uh, because we have so many great hospitals here in Southern California, get people to share their ideas with, with other folks. So. Yeah, right. Why reinvent the wheel, right? Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, you, you know, there's a. Uh, it's it's funny you should mention that because one of my heroes is Don Berwick from yeah. the mm -hmm. uh, Institute for Healthcare uh, Improvement, and one of Dr. Berwick's famous sayings is, you know, American healthcare knows is has absolutely the right thing to do in everything. The problem is. There's a little bit over here, and there's a little mm -hmm. bit over here, and a little bit over there. So I, I think that philosophy of, of sharing good ideas yeah. and working together is critical. Knowledge share is critical for every facet of our life at this yeah. point, but specifically for healthcare, yes. Yeah. Well, so you're kind of on the business side now, but you come to this as, as a clinical expert. Exactly. Yeah. So how long were you, are you a baby doctor? I am a, I'm a, <laughs> a, a, a what's called a maternal fetal medicine uh, specialist by training, meaning uh, during my clinical career, uh, I dealt with high-risk pregnancy mothers who had medical problems or their their babies had some sort of anomaly or other other conditions. So, um, you know, that you're, you're right. The the business side of it's new for me, and I. I like to think, but I still think of myself as a uh, physician who knows a little business, uh, <laughs> not the other way around. Well, I can speak for everybody that every single person I've talked to says you're amazing at your job. So you're clearly doing it well. <laughs> so you, one of your biggest areas that you focus on is really improving maternal health. Why are you so passionate about that? You know, I, I think it's probably... Uh, you know, first of all, I know uh, the statistics. I, you know, part of my job is to deal with the data. And so uh, I have that uh, insight uh, to, to see the scope of, of problems and, and conditions. But I think the other thing is just that that's where I think my career helped me. Because, you know, when we would get called into cases, 
uh, things were usually not going that right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, unfortunately, the experience, um, you, you know, I think, I think we as physicians, uh, you, you tend to remember the bad cases, not the good cases, right. unfortunately. And so I, I think it's, it, that drives me forward. So maternal safety and clinical quality, I, I don't see them. To me, that's job one. Right. Uh, and obviously, uh, it fits in well with our mission here at, at Providence St. Joe's. But, but in reality, it's it's that sort of burning desire to improve things and not have those bad outcomes. Well, you touched on it. What exactly is Providence St. Joseph Health doing to improve care for mothers? Well, uh, I, I think probably the biggest. Uh, structural thing is the clinical institutes you know we we have various uh clinical institutes or centers of excellence with people like myself that are focused on a a um, uh, an important area uh, so so for example there's cardiac and there's mm -hmm. oncology um, women's and children's is a little different in that first of all it's women's and children's so so we have huge volumes um, here in Southern California our hospitals do 31,000 deliveries a year at, a year wow. and that's uh, I looked it up one that's time that's a lot that, of babies that's a lot of babies <laughs> it's, it's more actually than 15 states do together in a year so wow. it's a huge number wow. uh, and so it's a big responsibility. And I think uh, by having, uh, you know, the institutes where we can focus and bring in outside expertise from the rest of the system and the rest of the region and uh, really bring uh, improvement on, on a large scale, uh, I, I think it's a pretty big responsibility and, and, a, and a great way uh, to do things. Well, I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing some of our other um, institute experts around human caring and cardiac, and they all have kind of what they call pillars or pillars that they're focused on. What are the pillars for your institute? Well, uh, it's interesting. We, we just have uh, defined those uh, in the last uh, uh, year or so, and we're basing them upon a document called Listening to mothers in California. Um, the California Healthcare Foundation um, uh, two years ago went out and interviewed some 2,500 women about their experience during pregnancy. And so we've really uh, crystallized the outcome of those, uh, of that analysis into basically five different uh, major things. Uh, the, the first is concentrating on uh, personal personalizing the pregnancy making sure that you as uh, a woman uh, uh, and you as a family get the experience you want um, the second is shared decision making in other words when 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 uh, a, a patient and her caregiver make a big decision like route of delivery mm -hmm. the patient's responsible for making the decision. Ultimately, that's the rule. Uh, but uh, it's my job as a provider to give you as a patient the uh, information and the background so you can make wise uh, decisions. An educated decision is a good decision. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thirdly is uh, 
reducing unnecessary C-sections. Uh, okay. So we, we only want to do a C-section when it's absolutely in benefits the mother and the baby. Is that the, the reduction in that? Is that because women are choosing to, to do C-sections because it's easier or it's less painful or what's the reasoning behind that? Well, I, I mean, there's a little of that going on. I, I think a lot of times uh, the decisions are made by providers and patients. They really think they're uh, making choices to uh, improve the outcome to the mom and the baby. Mm -hmm. I, I really will give credit on that. But again, there's some uh, poor choices. So mm -hmm. for example, trying to undergo an induction of labor when the cervix is not quite ready. Got it. Uh, and, and making those types of decisions or admission to labor when you're not really in labor. Uh, so it's, it's those types of things that we're trying to work on and prevent. Got it. Okay, so then the fourth pillar? Fourth pillar is similar, and that is to allow women to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. We, we know the oh, vast okay. majority of women, uh, particularly with one prior C-section, are um, likely it's very safe for them to undergo a trial labor and, uh, to them and their babies. And as well, most of them will be successful. So uh, again, uh, trying to reduce the unnecessary um, intervention. And then lastly is preventing and, and stopping doing things that don't benefit uh, 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 women at all. Interventions such as episiotomy, uh, okay. um, you know, that's where you make a small incision mm -hmm. to make a bigger opening for the baby's head. Um, most of those um, don't benefit the mother. They, they cause uh, a bit more bleeding and uh, take longer to repair. So, and um, the chance for infection and everything, I'm sure. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, um, we really and truthfully are trying to, to avoid uh, things such as that that really cause more harm than they do benefit. Wonderful. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue with Dr. LeGru talking about maternal health. We'll be right back. Hey, brother. There's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister, know the water's sweet, but blood is thicker. Oh, if the sky comes falling down for you, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. We're back with Future of Health. I'm your host, Mary Runoff, and I'm here with maternal health expert, Dr. David LeGru. We are talking about women's health around maternity, and a, a kind of a sad number or, or fact is that women are actually dying more often in birth now. And we'll, I mean, it's too, well, I mean, gosh, we're, look at the time we're in. You would think that we would not have that anymore. What is causing that? Yeah, well, there's a number of factors that probably uh, way into it. Um, you know, we, we on a national and, and here in California on a state level have uh, 
have drilled down to the the desk to try to delineate. So things such as uh, hemorrhage, uh, bleeding too much at delivery, uh, high blood pressure where women unfortunately get strokes and Mm. other things. Um, Cardiovascular, um, there's conditions, particularly in the postpartum period after you deliver, where you get congestive heart failure and if it goes unrecognized and untreated can be fatal. Um, and, and then it gets into, well, what's causing, uh, those things to go up. So part of it is, uh, demographics, uh, mm-hmm. women are older, they right. weigh a bit more, uh, and unfortunately they had more C-sections previously. Okay. And, um, uh, one of the areas, uh, that we focused on of lowering the C-section rate is not necessarily a short-term solution. It's really a long-term strategy to prevent because we know that once you have a C-section, that the the, the next uh, pregnancy and the pregnancy after that are riskier uh, with, with certain conditions. So um, the strategy of lowering the C-section rate is so we can create more pregnancies with the world's safest delivery, and that is the woman who's had a prior vaginal birth. Um, Statistically, about far and away, that's the best thing for the woman's health. Wow. So you mentioned um, maybe kind of the higher risk things, and we always hear that you're kind of almost automatically a high risk if you have pregnancies in your 40s. Why is that, though? Why, Why is it so hard when you're older? Well, no, no one knows uh, specifically. Obviously, uh, just as you can't go out and uh, run a sprint race as easily, there, there are clearly things that happen to your body as you mature. Uh, you're more likely to have things like diabetes or blood pressure problems. Um, part of it is your tissue is just not as elastic. And I think any of us that, that pass those benchmarks um, understand that particular concept. So there's a number of reasons, but it, but it is a real issue. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also talked about, you know, we're weighing more or whatever is, are a lot of these preventable? Is it lifestyle choices that are causing that? Is it diabetes? Some of it's lifestyle. I, I you know, I, I think, um, as you say, uh, you, you know, you certainly see women, and I always used to say this to a number of my patients that were in their uh, upper 30s and 40s that were in much better shape and I'd much rather take care of them than I would, uh, you know, somebody in their 20s who, right. you know, was was markedly overweight or, or had bad eating habits, or a et cetera, smoker, or, yeah. or a smoker, et cetera. So again, there are clearly lifestyle choices that I think uh, we as a society need to, to educate women more about so they make better choices. So I don't actually know the numbers of women that are dying each year. I do know that it's growing, but Providence St. Joseph Health actually has one of the lowest maternal death rates in the country. Is that because of the work of the Institute? Uh, we think so. Uh, uh, we know, for for example, in 2017, which is the latest year I have data on, that we had no uh, uh, preventable uh, uh maternal deaths zero uh despite doing just under seventy-five thousand deliveries in the system so obviously much lower than uh statistically we should should have seen 
Um, obviously, our efforts, uh, which started uh, uh, several years ago in the Institute on things like hemorrhage and hypertension, mm -hmm. it, it's really, uh, uh, we, we think, is paying off. Now, again, whenever you give those numbers, you always knock on wood because sure. you don't want to jinx yourself. And, and clearly, uh, you know, if you look at it, it's interesting, if you look at maternal deaths, probably 60 to 70% are avoidable. Okay. Um, it it kind of depends on what type of uh, condition you're talking about. So, for example, hemorrhage, 90% uh, of the time, if uh, we make better decisions, um, uh, we avoid uh, what's called uh, delay and denial uh, problems. Uh, we can prevent that maternal death. So, again, it, that's the quest. That's what we're all working mm -hmm. towards is to prevent the, you know, a number of the deaths. And you you mentioned hemorrhage, and I know that you actually worked on hemorrhage guidelines, but but that's part of a, a bigger group that you're working on. What is that about? So. Um, uh, I uh, started working way back in, in 2006. The state of California helped put together, it's, it's called the uh, California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative. Um, and uh, really, uh, it's a group that's focused on maternal safety. It was charged with two things. The state had noticed that our maternal mortality rate had been increasing. And so it was charged with number one, reducing the maternal mortality rate, and number two, uh, reducing the racial disparity okay. that we saw in, in those outcomes. Uh, unfortunately, um, wh while we've had good success on the first one, we, we have lowered our maternal mortality rates here in California, actually by about half. Uh, we still have that racial disparity. In fact, CMQCC is working on that as, as we speak. Um, my role has been, well, I was, as I mentioned, I was part of the executive committee and, and things of that nature. Um, I also was one of the, the co-chairs uh, that led to the hemorrhage toolkit. Uh, I also ended up being the co-chair of the cesarean reduction uh, toolkit, but uh, what, what is a toolkit? When you say a hemorrhage toolkit, what does that mean? Yeah, I like to describe it as a uh, a, a bunch of good ideas. Like a playbook. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's kind of a playbook. Well, what what things can you do? What what uh, uh, ideas do you have for addressing this problem? Mm -hmm. So. For example, in uh, the hemorrhage toolkit, we put together an algorithm of here's how when a mother starts to have bleeding problems, things are happening very fast. So in the past, people have addressed that by just, oh, we got to do this or that or this or that and sort of, if you think about it, it's kind of similar to what we call code blue. You know, when mm -hmm. someone's heart mm -hmm. stops or you start breathing, there's this very scripted response, right? Mm -hmm. So so everybody on the team has their role. Uh, you do things in a very standard uh, technique uh, and fashion. And so essentially what we did is develop the same type of, of uh, algorithm for how you manage uh, uh, acute uh, maternal hemorrhage. 
And so, again, an important idea. And then, then the idea is to get those ideas, all those good things in the toolkit, right, to, to the patient. And we did that by holding what we call collaboratives, where we would get groups of hospitals uh, to work together to learn how to use the toolkit. And then, of course, they would have more ideas right. that we could improve It's like a live think tank. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. And, uh, for example, in, in Hemorrhage, uh, our data uh, showed that we could uh, decrease the number of moms going to the ICU, the number of moms getting transfusions, et cetera, uh, in the hospitals that went through these collaboratives oh. and did this. So That's amazing. Uh, we have good evidence that these things work. Well, earlier you mentioned racial disparity. What, where are we seeing increased rates? I know African American women for sure. Is is there anything else it's that we should be aware? It's primarily African Americans, okay? and and unfortunately, with almost every statistics, it's like a two to three, sometimes fourfold uh, increased risk in those uh, populations. And we've studied it. We know it isn't necessarily the just it's it's not their demographics it's not you know how much income they have if you adjust for that they still have problems so uh, it's led to the whole concept of we we need to have uh, uh, health equity mm-hmm. in other words we don't tr- just treat everybody equally we give everybody what they need so i think in certain instances and this is a good one uh, we need to do more. We need to, you know, push up our game on communicating and doing the types of things that we've been talking about for that specific uh, group of women. Wow. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to take your questions via social media. back with Future of Health, and we are talking about maternal health here in Southern California and across the entire Providence St. Joseph Health Network. 
Um, and we are getting ready to take questions from social. So Dr. LeGru, we're going to start right away. We've got a question from Noreen that says, women are dying in childbirth and it's increasing. Is that because of home births? No, I, I, I wouldn't say, you, at least statistically, uh, home births are still a pretty small uh, number. Uh, and so I don't think we can attribute the rise in maternal mortality uh, to that. We, we know there are certain things, obviously, that happen during uh, labor and delivery that it's good to have immediate response for. So, so for example, we talked about hemorrhage or high blood pressure problems, uh, things of that nature. And it's, it's still a reason if you look at the, the sort of national uh, recommendations on home birth, that certainly if you're going to choose to do that, you, you really need to make sure you don't have any risk factor at all. Uh, because again, there, 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 are, there are slight uh, increases in uh, complications to moms and babies that could occur. Well, it's interesting when we talk about home births, because you think about the fact that you have a home birth or you have a hospital birth, but now we have birthing centers. How has that changed the game? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a huge uh, uh, body of work going on right now on defining, uh, we call it maternal levels of care, where, where we're trying to segment out, you know, what's the role of a birthing center? What's the role of a, a, a level one hospital, a low, all the way up to what we call level four hospitals, where you have these experts of experts that uh, can deal with deal with things like uh, uh, congenital heart disease in the mother or complications okay. of that. And does that um, include NICUs as well, like different levels of NICUs? Well, actually, it's funny. You know, that's a pretty established system. Okay. Um, NICUs, you know, level one through four NICUs has been, you know, their actual standards and guidelines and uh, billing codes, right, right. Uh, you know, for many years. But we didn't have that in, in maternal care. Um, and the reason, I, I think there's a couple reasons. One is our systems of care are, are evolving. So, for example, you mentioned uh, birth centers. Um, well, there are, uh, when most people say birth centers, they think of freestanding birth centers right. that are out in a, you know, just, just like outpatient surgeries, right. centers, and things of that nature. Um, but you're also beginning to see the development of uh, birth centers within the campus of a hospital. Right. So the difference being, obviously, that if there is that small number of women that have unforeseen complications, they can immediately be rushed over to, right. to get the benefits rather than having to hospital. call an ambulance. Exactly. Or, right. So uh, where that's all going to go, the, 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 there's pros and cons to it, obviously. If, if, uh, if the birthing center is within the hospital, there's the tendency to probably over uh, react and transfer the patient over. That so, so that kind of hurts the mom's experience and, and things of that nature. And, uh, uh, but on the flip side, there are a small number of women, uh, statistically that that will really make a big, uh, difference in the outcome, uh, for the mom and, and the baby. And, and I think the other thing is too, 
that I will say because because we have uh, a really nice example of of uh, our birth center down in Mission Viejo that's that's doing that is by having it within the hospital it means that the labor and delivery the hospital part is working so closely with the birthing center part mm-hmm. and they agree upon protocols and who's going to get moved over and so you don't have this friction that sometimes you have when it's a freestanding birthing center and now the patient just shows up through the emergency room up to labor and delivery and there's that you don't tension. know anything about them or and the the clinical experts don't know each other yeah mm-hmm. so so i think there's work to be done on that I mean, I mean i think it's like everything else in healthcare. If we work as a smooth system it, it doesn't mean you can't have a freestanding birthing center uh, and have all those those benefits but it really needs to be well structured not not just haphazard now I did get to tour the uh, on-site birth center at Mission recently, and it, I don't have children, but it made me kind of want to have a baby. I mean, it was like <laughs> big, huge bed, and it was aromatherapy, and candles, and dim lighting, and a birthing yeah. pool. It was like, this kind of looks like a little vacation, so if you were having a baby, I guess it'd be a good way to do it. But I did talk to the nurses there, and they said it was so much more comfortable for them, and even the midwife said it, and the doula said it that having that ability to just go a few feet practically and have that care made the mothers feel so much more comfortable. So it was yeah. like a home birth, but in a hospital setting. Yeah. And, and I think it's been fun. You, you know, the spinoff too, to having that type of care in your hospital is that feeds over into labor and delivery. So, you know, the midwives are experts at labor techniques and, right. uh, different, uh, to your point, physiologic things that you can do. And they're actually teaching our uh, nursing staff. So even the patients delivering in uh, labor and delivery that didn't go through the birthing center are getting the, the benefit of that expertise. So, so it's really kind of a win-win in my opinion. That's great. Well, the next question we have um, from Sandy is, it seems like more maternity units are closing around the country. Why is that? And is that part of the reason that mortality rates are increasing? Well, obviously, it depends on the part of the country. You know, clearly, if um, you know you're out in very rural parts and you don't have access by a two-hour drive, that that's a safety issue, right? Because uh, complications do occur that are unexpected. Uh, so, so that can be an issue. Um, I, again, I don't think it's a huge part of the maternal mortality rate. Uh, increase. I really attribute some of the other things we we've, we've we've uh, talked about, and that's high risk women who are having babies later in life, women who maybe have complications or are overweight, that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I you know, and then the other uh, the other part of your question was why is that happening? And mm-hmm. I think it's it's kind of generally true for hospitals in general that that the small rural hospitals really. Uh, uh, can't compete yeah. uh, financially. It's a challenge. And then the other factor we're beginning to see in maternity care is we're actually hitting the the uh, physician shortage issue. Right, right. So getting enough OBs, getting enough midwives, it's going to be a real challenge. Um, we've studied that in our own region. Out of out of our three hundred some odd providers, we know that sixty nine of those. 
uh, by, by over the next five years will be at retirement age. Wow. So replacing that many providers who are, by the way, some of our most productive is going to be a great challenge for us here in the region. So again, I, I think you'll begin to see this say, uh, again, it's not just our problem, it's everybody's right. problem. And and going to be uh, an issue going forward. So for those of you listening who are wondering what you should do with your future occupation, maybe go into maternal medicine. We're just saying. Yeah. Um, well, another question um, says, are multiple births causing more issues? Here's another two-parter. And are those from IVF? Um, well, there's no question that IVF leads to an increase in multiple uh, births. Uh, fortunately, I think the peak of uh, impact from IVF uh, where we were seeing so many triplets and so many quadruplets, right. um, that has really peaked and is, has gone way, way down. But we do have still more twins, mm -hmm. and twins are more complicated. It's, it's probably more a risk for the baby in general mm -hmm. than it is for the mother, but issues such as uh, hemorrhage and uh, need for C-sections go up with twins, and so... Clearly, clearly, it's uh, been part of the problem. Well, I think we have to take another quick break. Time goes so fast with you. Um, when we come back, we will continue our conversation on maternal health. future of health and we are talking about maternal health so dr legru what's the difference between delivering in a hospital and a birthing center and what are the pros and cons and we kind of talked a little bit about that from like a, who's available and how quickly can you get help if it happens but are there any pros versus cons you think people should consider well uh, you know I, I think it's pretty straightforward that if you have some sort of complication or maternal condition. So, so for example, if you had high blood pressure problems mm -hmm. or diabetes, or uh, we mentioned twins earlier, mm -hmm. uh, pr uh, previous cesarean section, those are all uh, high risk factors for complications and need for uh, cesarean birth. So, so clearly those um, shouldn't happen in, in birthing centers. Or at home. I think the good news is most 
most mothers don't fit into those categories. Right. So there's a lot of mothers who can deliver at birthing centers. And, and then it gets into uh, will they develop some sort of complication during their labor. Right. So, for example, there's something called preeclampsia, right. where you're uh, towards the end of your pregnancy, you begin to develop high blood pressure problems. There can be changes in your uh, blood work that cause more bleeding. Uh, you can have problems with your kidney function, et cetera. Um, someone may decide, hey, I want to deliver in a birthing center and then get to 37, 38, 39 weeks and have preeclampsia develop, um, it's a bad idea for her right. to deliver there because we call it preeclampsia because eclampsia, <laughs> you know, it's preeclampsia. Uh -huh. Eclampsia is actually when the mother has seizures and, oh um, and her blood pressure can go up acutely to dangerous ranges to cause strokes and other problems. So again, those are things you just don't, you know, that our birthing centers aren't equipped to take care of. Well, I think it's interesting because a lot of women choose home birth or birthing centers because they want to have a birth plan, right? Or birth preferences. But I know that Providence St. Joseph Health is really trying to work with women on how to respect that plan. What does that look like? Yeah, so, so we've actually even, uh, uh, just recently put that in the little phone app we have the the circle, circle. right mm -hmm. and um, you, you know I always uh, tell you know birth plans uh, used to be sort of a standing joke in the doctor's dining room they were a list of things that wouldn't happen to you during your labor uh, because it just seemed like you know whenever people try to put things down something would come the best up. laid plans exactly the best <laughs> laid plans um but again i i think by uh converting them as as you mentioned to birth preferences there are a number of choices uh, that women can make so for example who's going to be in the room with you right. during delivery uh, and thinking about that ahead of time. Um, how much do you want to ambulate? How much do you want to avoid episiotomy? How, um, and I think birth preferences are wonderful because, again, it gets back to the concept of shared decision-making right. uh, that uh, you as a patient, I as a provider, can kind of decide up front. These okay. are the things that would make things go well. Well, we all want to control our own health care and we want to control our life, but we also respect the clinical expertise. I'm good if my plan changes because something happens like a stroke. Please exactly. change my plan. Exactly. You know, and, and I think actually that's one thing I've encouraged people to have on their birth preferences. The last question is, if something changes that endangers me or, in, or, or may endanger my baby, I understand that right. it's okay to... Um, not follow uh, this sure. list and you know it's interesting um, I was up in Seattle uh, a few months ago and one of the midwives made a really neat thing she said we in our birthing classes we go out of our way to tell patients that here's here's the order of following your birth preferences number one is that we make choices that gets us you know a healthy mother and a healthy baby uh, number two, that we avoid cesarean section. And number three, that we follow your preference list uh, 
it, you know, to the letter of the the list. So, so again, I, I think it's that shared decision making and understanding that you know things change rapidly in our our world. I think it's one reason some of us went into OB because it is kind of a you know rush if you will right you know when some of that stuff happens it's Um, a baby popping out yeah i mean i really (laughs) enjoyed it when i was young enough but once you get old enough your sense of humor goes away but (laughs) but anyway i I do think it's the type of thing that it's important for for moms to think about and and have up front well i think you know complications and emergencies are always going to happen but providence st joseph health does a lot to try to prevent them can you talk yeah. a little bit about what those measures are well so so, so i'll go back to you know for, first of all we work very hard on um, things like uh, taking interventions that prevent things so so i'll go back to the hypertension problem so so we have built into our electronic record um, you know, alerts that come up when a mom's blood pressure reaches a certain amount. We have a very, in each of our admission order sets, a standing order mm-hmm. for uh, medicines to be given that, uh, you know, safely lower the mom and the, uh, mom's blood pressure. And really, statistically, we, we know if we do that, um, you know, we will prevent strokes. So it's taking that. And then I, I would argue our whole, uh, you, you know, supporting lowering the C-section rate right. efforts, you know, those are an effort, uh, is this, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, is that it's really trying to, it's a long-term strategy to improve the long-term health of the mother. Um, cesarean section, once you do one, increases the risk in each subsequent pregnancy. And the more you do, the more risk there is. But aside from just the pregnancy, if later in life the woman has to have a hysterectomy or some abdominal surgery, we know that damage to the other organs and or uh, bleeding, things of this nature are much, much more complicated. Yeah. in women who have had that. Well, so you've taken a lot of measures. Are they measurable? What outcomes are you yeah. seeing? Well, um, you know, uh, we're, we're huge believers. If you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Mm-hmm. That's the old, uh, old uh, you know, uh, saying. And, and so we have uh, actually built systems. It's one thing the Women's and Children's Institute did early on to automatically draw out the data uh, so that we can uh, analyze and follow metrics like what percentage of women get that medicine um, or uh, what is your cesarean section rate, et cetera. And then I think that's another area where CMQCC, the the state has done a wonderful job. They, They have what's called the Maternal Data Center. And that way, our results can, we, we actually submit them electronically, uh, and the results go up there. And then it lets us compare ourselves to not, not only our other hospitals within our own system, but throughout the state of California. And in fact, they recently expanded that to Oregon, Washington. Okay. Uh, and so anyway, by having that 
benchmarks. It's re it really allows, again, a transparency, a looking at the data, uh, allows us to, to progress in, in many of these quality efforts. Well, I think we're about out of time, but if I could ask you to give our listeners one piece of advice or information, what would you leave them with? Uh, be their own advocate. Um, choose uh, hospitals and, and, and providers who are really going to work with them uh, on their wishes and their experiences and who do all the kind of safety work that we've been talking about. I, I think, again, I, I think having someone you can communicate with and have a relationship with and knowing those folks really are committed to maternal safety, that's how we're going to improve this problem.
back with Future of Health talking about maternal care. And you mentioned something really important earlier. You talked about a provider shortage. What are we doing to combat that? Right. So, so uh, it, that's exactly right. Um, we know in general in medicine that there's a, an upcoming physician shortage. Um, that and not just physicians, though, right? I mean, aren't we finding it in like surgical techs and exactly, everything? Exactly, exactly. As as fast as the population's growing, uh, we know we don't have. We're not training enough. Yeah. And if you really look at the demographics of the providers we do have, we know there's so many that are going to be retiring in the next right. few years. So how do we replace those? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, in yeah, we we just finished an analysis in our region. Um, we know we have to replace over the next five years the um, sixty nine physicians. Oh my goodness! And, uh, OBGYN providers. In five years. Yes, oh and what's worse is we have to replace the deliveries that they're doing because these are right. some of our most productive uh, physicians now going out these days and recruiting 69 OBGYNs is a pretty tall order even though obviously we cover a large uh, footprint here um, so it's part of what we're doing as far as care redesign goes uh, uh, we will replace a lot of those deliveries with midwives Okay. Um, uh, as you know, um, uh, the United States is one of the few countries in the world that that the majority of deliveries are not done by midwives. So right. obviously, uh, while we've talked about higher risk problems and and things of that nature, there there's still a large segment of lower risk women that it's very appropriate, very safe, and and frankly. Um, you know, we'll meet their experience uh, better. So uh, we'll we'll do that. Well, and I, some of the, the locations too within the system, like I know Torrance, for example, Little Company Mary and Mission, um, they actually have kind of the midwives are already, and even the doulas are already part of the team, have whole exactly, centers for that. Exactly, exactly. That's a neat, it, it kind of goes back to our sharing of ideas. Um, the neat thing is that it, we can learn all the lessons in one hospital and then help the next hospital right. very easily transition into that type of uh, uh, type of setting. So again, I think that'll be a big part of it. I think uh, we are also redesigning our laborist programs okay. and expectations. Um, if you look at it, a laborist, uh, for those folks who don't know, is is someone who stays on labor and delivery um uh they can either it, it, the, their job description goes all the way from their sitting at the the desk ready to jump in immediately and watching everybody's labor etc to no no they're just a, do, a, a doctor in the back room that if we have an emergency we'll call out so i think redesigning where those folks do more deliveries uh is going to be critical um, for the prenatal care and some of that we need to expand our relationships um, there are existing entities such as the the fqhc's the mm -hmm. federally qualified 
health centers that uh, have been giving the communities great care in, in non-OB settings and working out with them, how can we help them uh, provide the prenatal care? And then when it comes right. time to delivery, we have our midwives and our uh, physicians and our laborists uh, helping do those deliveries. So we think we can make up the deficit that way. Um, but you know, I'm I'm sure we're going to have to continue to be creative because sure. again, it's it's an ongoing problem. Well, I also love the creativity of, of Providence and how we have a university, right? And we have a nursing school. We even have a high school where we're prepping young people to come in and learn the medical field. And I think that's a really smart way to get ahead of it. Yeah, exactly. It well, you know, youth is our future and everything. Right? I mean, Absolutely. you know, it, it really is, and. Uh, I always tell people, you know, we're, we're designing a system not for you, but for these guys coming out. And so gen. whether it's the electronic record or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the system of interacting uh, with nursing, uh, et cetera, that, that's our real focus. Well, technology you're kind of touching on is really also the future. And I know that there's a lot going on with artificial intelligence. There's even like virtual reality for pain management for mothers. Can you talk a little bit about what we've got going in that space? Yeah, I, I think it's funny because in, in OB, obviously, we're trying to be more natural, be more mm-hmm. physiologic. On the other hand, there are these technologies. So, so for example, in the electronic medical record, how can we make that easier and uh, uh, for our providers? So they're not spending as much time on the keyboard. They're spending more time right. with the patient. How can we get the uh, data and information that we need for quality improvement, performance improvement out easier? So um, we, we spend a lot of time in our focus groups and different things of that nature talking about those specific issues. But then uh, you mentioned a couple of things in, in our field, um, artificial intelligence. So right now we, we are pretty close to uh, signing a deal, quote unquote, uh, that will cover the whole system where, where we'll get an artificial intelligence proje- uh, product that'll watch the fetal heart rate patterns, that'll help us identify mothers who are, uh, uh, have babies that are getting into trouble and vice versa, help us not overcall Right. Uh, and intervene right. too much. But it goes beyond that because it's looking at labor patterns at different ways. You know, we're hopeful we'll learn how to uh, provide care better by having these this uh, machine learning as well. Well, I, I know we actually saw um, fairly recently too the, uh, what is it, a simulation dummy? I don't want to use the word dummy. But to teach nurses about what could potentially happen that's a fascinating technological advancement as well. Exactly. We, we, we like to learn from events. So, so let's, let's stick with hemorrhage. That's the perfect example for simulation. Um, obviously, uh, each case we try to analyze when we have a, a, an event or a problem. How can we improve our systems? How can we improve our technique? But, but to your point, you don't want to sit around waiting for that, or you certainly don't, boy, I hope we have somebody bleed so I can teach uh, Sally how, what her role is. So having simulation training, um, such as going on up at, at Holy Cross and, and some of our other 
hospitals. Th those are critical teaching tools because, um, a, 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 again, uh, that's that's uh, really using the technology to to improve uh, human factors. Well, while we're still talking about technology, can you talk a little bit about Circle? I know you mentioned it earlier. Well, you, you know, people are busy. Mm -hmm. Yes, we <laughs> um, are. Traditional birth center, uh, 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 birthing classes and things of that nature. You just don't see women have the time to, right. to do those. Um, people hate paper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the millennial, millennial uh, generation, if you give them a stack of handouts, uh, we'll walk out the door and throw it in the nearest trash can. And complain about the environmental factor. And, and then complain <laughs> about the environmental factor. So uh, what we've done is is paired up with the Circle team, and we're putting all our content. So, so for example, uh, we have a mandate by the state of California to, to educate women on maternal mental health. Mm. Very, important Very important thing. We did not go out and make a bunch of brochures right. on here's what's mental health. We embedded the content into Circle. Circle already had some good stuff, but we added to it. Um, and now we can just make sure every mom has that app on their phone and can open it up at any time. And it's great too because it's really customized for your program. It tells you how big your baby is at this week and it reminds you if you have an appointment or you need to take a gestational diabetes test. It's really fascinating. And I, what I yeah. like too about it is that, like you said, nobody wants to read handouts and they don't have time to go to classes, but you certainly don't want them Googling it for the information. So this is vetted, legitimate exactly. content. Yes. Exactly, awesome. and, that, and that way, uh, we can feel comfortable when the mom comes in with information that she's got it from a trusted source. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been very educational, and we look forward to future conversations. You're welcome. Thank you to Dr. LeGrew for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. If you're looking for an OB expert or want a natural delivery in the Southern California area, visit psjhealth.org baby. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence St. Joseph Health. Make sure to follow us on social media at PSJH on Twitter and on Instagram and under Providence St. Joseph Health on Facebook. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit future.psjhealth.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.